Hi, I'm Sean Kelly, the voice of the Gators. Welcome to the Gator Tales podcast with Sean Kelly. This is episode 20. Thank you so much for making this a part of your day, and I hope a part of your weekly routine too. Pardon the rough sound of my voice. It's actually a good thing. It is the result of what I did last night. You see, I got home really late. Not what you're thinking. It was a late night coming home from Lexington, Kentucky. That's where Florida men's basketball defeated 10th-ranked Kentucky in overtime. What a thrilling night. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed watching all those Wildcat fans rushing for the exits as the Gators were sealing up a huge win in OT. Florida had not beaten an AP Top 10 team on the road in 21 years. The Gators have now won four in a row, five of their last six. Since the start of December, Todd Golden's team is 11-3. 94-91 was last night's final score. Make sure you check out Chris Harry's work on the game at FloridaGators.com. I'm really glad I waited until this morning here in my office to finish the podcast. Otherwise, I was going to talk and record yesterday about Lexington restaurants and other nonsense on the road. The big win is much better conversation. Okay, on to the task at hand, episode 20. This is what I've got lined up for you. My first guest is on the Gators softball team, and she is sure to be a high impact for Tim Walton's team this new season. Corby Otis is a transfer from Louisville. She is already an All-American, an All-ACC outfielder, and now on USA Softball's Top 50 watch list for Player of the Year. Otis is fascinating. The depth of our conversation will be something you and I remember. My second guest is Phil Farr. Farr is the executive director of Gator Boosters. If that wasn't enough right there to discuss, Farr is also the longest serving member of the athletic department or the University Athletic Association as it is called here at Florida. I wanted to hear the stories that come along with that. It starts back in the 70s when Farr played football for Doug Dickey and then Charlie Pell. And the story of his four-plus decade career, though, may be hitting its most interesting phase yet. This episode also features another installment of Ask the AD with Director of Athletics Scott Strickland. And then we'll finish with Kenna on campus. Let's get started. Gator Tales with Sean Kelly is presented by UF Health. UF Health has locations throughout Florida, including Gainesville, Jacksonville, St. Augustine, Leesburg, and the Villages, and we're growing. Compassionate care and world-class outcomes, that's our game plan. Visit ufhealth.org to learn more. Our podcast is also brought to you by Pet Paradise. Gator fans, for pet fanatics like you, there's only one place who goes all out for your pet the way you do. Boarding, grooming, day camp, and veterinary services, all in one convenient location. Pet Paradise and New Day Veterinary Care. Finally, complete pet health care is here for Gator Nation. We continue over at the softball diamond, and it won't be long now before the place will be buzzing again with games going on. And one of the newest... Gators is coming to us from Louisville via uh, Colorado, actually. She'll be a junior outfielder for us, and the name is Corby Otis. Uh, I knew a Corby Jones. He was a football player back in the 90s at Missouri. He spelled it differently. Um, How many other Corbys do you know that are female and spell it with a K? 
I have never met somebody else named Corby, um, that at least that spells it my way in my life. So um, it's kind of funny because my entire uh, maternal um, extended family, um, my name comes from my mother's maiden name, so all their last names are Corby. So it's a little, it's kind of like Inception. It's just like my cousin. She's a Kelly, even though her last name is McCormick, but it's her mother's maiden name. So very cool. So you have a unique name in into yourself. And a unique career as well. Um, how did you get to Florida? Yeah, um, so it's, I guess you could say it's been a long time coming <laughs> from when I started um, my recruiting process and things like that. Uh, Florida was actually one of my dream schools when I was decided that I wanted to play college softball. Um, and it has taken me a while to get here, but um, I'm glad that's where I ended up. So I. I committed to Louisville um, super early before the rule change um, in the eighth grade, and I spent two um, two years with them um, and really just uh, felt that I needed a place where my goals matched up better. Um, you know, I, I as a little girl, I would write down um, on my goal sheets, like, I want to be an All-American, I want to go win a national championship at the Women's College World Series, um, and then obviously, um, I'm a very... Like, I'm kind of a nerd, so um, I value my academics highly as well, and I wanted to get the best education that I could to set me up for um, my goals later in life. So um, when I entered the transfer portal, that's what I was looking for, and Florida checked all my boxes, and I couldn't be happier about my decision. You've checked one of those boxes. You're a second-team All-American, first-team All-ACC last year. I'm sure Louisville loved to see you leave their campus. Oh, I'm I'm not sure that was the case, but um, yeah, it was it was a really hard decision for me to come to, um, and you know I wasn't I I really did like um, Louisville and I valued my time there, especially with my my teammates, my coaches, and the fans there, and um, it was a really really tough decision for me to leave, but um, I'm I'm really glad that I made it. You said you did goal sheets when you were young. How old were you when you did your first goals sheet? Um, I had to be really, really young. Um, when, you know, when you grow up and you are in kind of like an athletic, um, family, you kind of try out a lot of sports. I think I tried almost every sport except for volleyball, um, cause I'm, I'm too short for that. And, uh, swimming because my parents wouldn't get hit me up at 4am to drive me to the pool that early. So, um, I kind of tried everything. And at a certain point, um, it was kind of like, okay, you like, you want to choose one and be committed to that and really, really take all your time that go into that. Um, and that was softball for me. And, um, so my dad and I sat down and we kind of made, uh, goal sheets together and just kind of said, um, you know, this is your end goal. And I had, um, I had like a women's college world series flag, um, in my basement next to our batting cage since I was probably 10 or 11 years old. Um, and you know, when things, when things would get hard or softball was hard that day, like you would just look at the flag and you would say, okay, that's where we want to go. Where do I need to, what do I need to do next? What's my next 200 feet to try and get me there? So that's kind of how I have always thought about it. Who else is an athlete in your family? Um, so my, my dad, um, my, my, neither my mom or dad are collegiate athletes, but, um, they both played sports in high school. Um, and we're just kind of like a 
kind of an active family. My brother plays baseball now, um, which is ironic because my dad um, doesn't like baseball or softball. Um, he didn't like playing baseball growing up when he played t-ball. I think he said he played one game or one season or whatever and hated it. He's a big soccer guy, um, so it's kind of ironic that both of his kids fall into that sports category there. How many people in Littleton, Colorado have a batting cage in their basement? That, that, that just seems like it's party of one there, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, I think, I, I don't know how many there would be, um, but, you know, growing up, Colorado is definitely not um, a softball state by any means. We're a cold weather state. Um, we have good soccer programs, but we didn't really have a lot of facilities to work in over the winter. So um, that was actually my Christmas present one year was they, they put a batting cage in the basement for me. Um, and I just thought it was the coolest, coolest thing. It could just go down there after school and um, go work on softball. And I, I don't know, that was like, that was one of the best Christmas presents that I had, I think. You went to Columbine High School. Uh, Corby, your generation's removed from the tragedy there, but I'm curious if it affected your generation of students in some way uh, along your journey through Columbine High School. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny um, you ask about that because I, uh, my, me and my teammates had just brought that up the other day um, because, you know, I, I wasn't even born at the time of the tragedy. It was 1999, um, but that community, um, that shock to the community really brought them together, um, and it's still very much like a family there in Columbine. Um, you know, every day on the day of the tragedy, um, April 20th, we have a day of service, um, so we're... Um, high schoolers will get together with community leaders or community organizations and just go out and work um, and volunteer and just something special that we can do to give back to that community that kind of absorbed all of that love and all of those feelings so long ago. So um, it's very much still a family. Um, and we had assemblies every year where we would have survivors um, come in and talk to us and tell us about, you know, kind of how that changed the course of their life. And um, so it very much, it, it still impacts everybody that comes through there and everybody's that's a part of that community. So I think that's really special. So is the legacy less scary, more aware, more grateful? Is that how you're sharing this with me? Um, yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, when anything like that happens, it's so crazy at the time. Um, and, you know, uh, Frank DeAngelis um, was the principal at Columbine High School at that time. Um, and he really um, was a leader and just united the community together. And it's still very much that way. Um, so it's kind of, it's not forgetting um, what happens by any means, but um, just showing that you can be stronger for something like that happening. Here's a hard pivot, but we'll stay at Columbine for a little bit if you don't mind. Uh, you mentioned that you participated in many different sports. You hold the record still for 100 meter and 200 meter in track and field for your school, correct? Um, yes, that's correct. I think I have four track records there still. Um, so 100, 200, and then we did uh, four. Uh, we did the 4 by one relay. We have that record and the 4 by 2 relay record too still. So you stole a lot of bases in softball as a result of your track speed as well? Uh, well, track was definitely an afterthought um, to softball. Softball was my main sport. Um, and then one of the, um, I think the level three softball coach also was a track coach. Um, and during tryouts, he saw my speed and was like, okay, you need to, you need to come to track you need to come to track and it was like bother 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 and I finally was like okay that's a great way to stay in shape
shape during, um, you know, the fall, the, what would be my California team's high school season. Um, so that's kind of what I got into it for. And um, yeah, so <laughs> that's pretty cool. It's like a weird off fact about me, I guess. Okay. Well, hold on. California high school. Help me sort this all out here because I'm, as you're, as you're answering the question about holding the records in track, I'm thinking, aren't track and softball played in the same season in high school athletics? So unpack this for me a little bit, Corbin. Yes, yeah. So in Colorado, um, like I said, we're a cold weather state. Um, softball is actually played in the fall. Um, so softball is played in the fall, and then track and field was in the spring for me. Okay. Um, however, I was on a travel team based out of Southern California. Um, and so I would travel out um, almost every weekend. And I had for six years um, in my high school, of course, over my middle school and high school career. But um, so I would travel out there for practice and games and their high school season for softball is in the spring. So they would kind of go dark and um, we could only practice so often and such for rules. Um, so that was kind of a way that I was able to stay in shape um, and do things like that in the spring. It kind of was convenient. Let me read these stats from last year, Corby, okay? This is while you're at Louisville. You batted 414. The, the stolen base is 22, by the way. Eight doubles, seven triples, which led the ACC, and 10 home runs. How do you top that this year? Um, you know, I think you always, for me as a competitor, um, it's like you're never satisfied, um, which can be a, a double-edged sword at times, but um, that's kind of just how I always feel. Um, and it's never, it, you know, it doesn't end up about the results for me, but the process of what gets me there is what I try to focus on. Um, so just doing the things that I need to do every day to get better, um, to get be uh, to get this much better at doing something else, to improve this skill. Um, that's kind of what I focus on. Um, to get me to the result and whatever happens happens your teammates and you uh, just received news that the preseason coaches poll for the southeastern conference the gators are picked to finish seventh that surprised me um and i'm curious is that fuel for you guys um yeah i think absolutely um you know anytime that a poll comes out like that um it's kind of hard to, you, you got to take it with a grain of salt as an athlete um because you know what what will happen nobody knows um but we th yeah, i think as an organization when you respond to something like that yeah it puts a little fire in your heart and makes you work a little harder um and kind of serves as motivation but like i said anytime a poll comes out like that you just kind of have to take it for what it is which is just noise um and go and work on whatever you're doing and kind of stay within your box new things are always easy um so tell me about fall I'd be curious as to know what Tim Walton loved about your game during the fall and maybe what he challenged you to improve upon. Um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, starting with my, um, you know, conversations in the transfer portal with him, I was very upfront, you know, I want to be, I, at the time, nothing had come out about um, any All-American things, but I was very clear about that. Like, I want to be an All-American. I want to go compete for a national championship. Um, so we talk about, um, you know, things that, things that the almost it's like the little things so over the course of a season how many at bats can you be better at can you swing at a better pitch can you um can you put um a ball in a different place can you um steal another base here and there um and it's really just improving that so i think like the way that i think about it is there's only 10 percent difference from uh, a corvette and a ferrari and that 10 percent is 
that 10% difference is the difference between between being a great player um, and an All-American. So we talk about those things all the time as like, okay, you keep like in this at bat, you need to look for doing this. This is what you focus on in your process. Um, and then over a course of a season, how many times can you get a result that you didn't get last year? That's kind of... I like it. I like it a lot. Even the 10% thing, even though the price tag may not be 10% more. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> You let's go back to goals sheets, shall we? Let's say we're done playing, whether it be collegiately you decide I've had enough, or you end up going Team USA, pro, whatever the case may be. What's on the goals sheet for your career beyond softball? Yeah, so um, I have known for a while now that I want to go to medical school um, and I want to be a surgeon. Um, I'm thinking cardiothoracics or maybe orthopedics and work with athletes, and that would be super cool to give back to sports in that way. Um, But yeah, that's kind of what I have set up for myself as of now. Ambitious, aren't you? Yes, um, but you know, I think that comes with being competitive, so. I love it. By the way, Dr. Otis has a very nice ring to it, don't you think? Uh, I think so. That's the goal. That's the goal. One more thing for Corby here. She, uh, by the way, was just named to USA Softball's Player of the Year Top 50 watch list for this upcoming season. Congratulations on that, too. Thank you. Thank you. Keep checking boxes, Corby, and we'll be excited to see you play here for the Gators. Thank you so much for having me. Last time I was sitting in this office was my interview day to become the voice of the Gators. Uh, it was a long day and a little bit of stress, but I gotta say, uh, the office, by the way, is that of the executive director of Gator Boosters, Phil Farr. I gotta say that it was the most at ease I felt during the entire day, and that's just who he is. That's Phil Farr. What else is he? Well, by the way, he's a former football player here at the University of Florida. We'll get into that. He's the longest tenured University Athletic Association employee. That's a big reason why we're visiting. And he's right in the swirling winds of how do we fundraise and raise money and deal with NIL in this world. Phil, great to see you. Uh, A lot of reasons why to talk to you, Um, the last of which we'll get to later. But I, I did want to come back to this office my touch point, if you will. And I did want to ask you about being employed with the UAA from 1981 until now. Longest tenured employee. Is there a trophy in this office I don't know about? Uh, the trophy might be my bald head and my expanding <laughs> waistline. But, but uh, uh, yeah, July 1, 1981, how I fell into this um, was senior year I'm going to graduate I didn't have I was interviewing for some jobs didn't know what I was going to do and coach Pell one day asked me what I was going to do and I told him I was interviewing and he said hey listen there's Gator Boosters it's thinking about hiring someone and I'm like fine go down to go down to Tampa and talk with Warren Case and uh, who I'd met uh, earlier and uh, anyway long story short came back he said uh, how'd it go I said it went fine uh, he said okay if you want this job uh, they're going to offer you a job I said great I didn't know what Gator Boosters did I mean I was blessed to be on a scholarship I just thought that money was there I didn't know that people actually gave money 
to pay for my scholarship. So yeah, so we we uh, we fell into this, and 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 it was Gene Allenson, former football coach, was uh, executive secretary. Judy and Gwen Delaney, Judy Kensler and Gwen Delaney were the the secretaries, yeah. uh, former coaches' wives, and um, had just hired a guy, Tom Scott, who worked for the foundation and Gator Boosters. So yeah, it went from. Uh, from not having any idea who we were to 42 years later, still here dodging bullets, I guess. You seem as you seem happy. I know you're happy. I shouldn't say seem. I know you're happy. Has it always been that way over the course of four decades of doing this job? Of course not. I mean, it's 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 uh, as as much fun as it is. It's still a job. Yeah. Uh, but but again, uh, over four decades, the the evolution of not only Gator Boosters but but sport, collegiate athletics. Uh, you know, it's had growing pains. But you know, you look back at 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 the the things that were complicating your life are so few when you look at the things that turned into blessings. And and again, to have a job that you love the people you work with, you love the people you work for, you you believe what you do is important. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, that's um, that's that's a blessing that a lot of people don't have. So uh, again, I'm I'm fortunate to be here doing this forty two plus years. And so there are people on the staff now, like myself, that look at you and say, wow, Phil Farr's been here longer than anyone else. The exception is Jeremy Foley, who's emeritus at this point. But when you started working on this side, you know, went from student athlete into this world, who were the people that you looked at and said, wow, no one's been here longer than that person? And those were the people that you looked up to at that time. Oh, oh you know, who, who's who, when I first started, I mean, you look back at the people I knew as a player, you know, Chris Patrick and Bud Fernandez, you know, training room, equipment room, and, you know, how they had, you know, had been here and, and helped build their programs. Uh, you know, Bill Carr had been here, was a former student athlete. His his dad was a minister like my dad. He was a center like 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 I was. Um, he was an All American like I wasn't. And uh, but but uh, you know there there were there there were a few people who. Again, it helped kind of start building the foundation. You know, Jeremy, uh, I think, started as um, as a grad student in the ticket office. I think in 1976, my freshman year. Um, so again, to personally look at at Jeremy, who came really kind of as a student and and jumped into a position and to watch his rise you know that was kind of kind of interesting and exciting to watch and and again to to leave the impact that he did and he has and continues to leave on our program is something that you know i i would never try to look at the impact that i leave compared to somebody like jeremy because his is cavernous and mine is I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> Do you see yourself in any way as a bridge from one era, maybe multiple eras, from one era to the next to where we are today as Florida Gators? Yeah, I mean, that's, again, it's, 
Gator Boosters, you know, it's athletic fundraising. It's it's a relationship business, and and again, one of the blessings that I have is the relationships that I built over the years. Um, you know, when I first started working here, there was a Silver Sixties group that was really active. They're still active today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after ten or twenty years, heck, they thought I played in the Sixties. You know, so you you look at the different eras of of people. Uh, just from a student athlete standpoint, but but from a donor standpoint, to see sons and daughters and grandchildren of donors that you worked with 40 years ago still supporting our program, yeah. it's really just it's, it's kind of cool, you know. It's 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 creating legacies. Don Disney's one of our wonderful supporters who who supports us to create a legacy, and and he kind of built something in me that you know that is important you know doing something for the next generations uh is important so perfect because i wanted to ask you over all the years that you've been building these relationships especially those who are highly successful uh, have supported the gators in in a large way what has rubbed off who has rubbed off on you? You started with Mr. Disney a little bit there, but if you think back over the four decades, who else has had that great impact upon you that maybe you didn't even know it was happening at the time? Oof, wow. That one, that one I really don't want to <laughs> touch because there, there, are, there are so many. I mean, yeah. there, there are donors who I consider dear friends. Um, there, there are people who have impacted my my life professionally and personally, um, and and sounds trite, but honestly, too many to mention. Uh, you know, I mentioned Warren Kaysen. Um, had it not been for me going down to Tampa and meeting with Warren Kaysen and Warren telling Coach Pell go ahead and give this idiot a chance, yeah. um, you know, th- but. You know, there, there. I, w- I would almost be offending people by mentioning or singling out people. Yeah. Um, not to answer your question. Fair enough. Here's a fair question for you. Do you my think wife, my wife? Okay, Taryn. Yes. Go to your question. <laughs> no, we'll do a whole other podcast on how Taryn has rubbed off on you in a positive way. Right. Um, now the question that I was kind of leaning toward. This is the fair question. Maybe that last one wasn't so fair. Are you in this position for 40-plus years if you didn't play for the Florida Gators? If you weren't a Gator yourself as a student, is that mattered in your tenure here? It's mattered to me 100%. Uh, a, I don't get the position which was a brand new position with a, a tiny organization. I don't get the position had I not played football here mm-hmm. and had I not been under Coach Pell. Um, I, I pro- well, I wouldn't have stuck around as long as I have because it's my school. You know, I got my degree here. I played here. I lettered here. I had the opportunity to do something athletically that I probably wouldn't or shouldn't have had yeah. compete in the SEC. Um, had the opportunity to leave uh, a handful of times for what some people would say was better positions, more money um, at other schools. But this is my school. Now that being said, 
you look at our staff today, there are not a lot of Florida grads. You know, Curtis Head played at Marshall. Doug Brown went to Juniana College. I mean, there are no more loyal, hardworking people than than them. And you look at six, you know, our sixteen other people on our staff. The fact that they went to Florida doesn't affect what they do here and it doesn't affect how people think about them but again in my personal situation absolutely uh, i'm in this position um, at least on the front end because i played here yeah our conversation turned toward the challenges facing gator boosters and outside nil entities the nil space and the wild west that is the transfer portal have completely changed the landscape of college athletics phil and i talked about and i'm paraphrasing how it's like flying an airplane while putting it together at the same time. Phil Farr was clear, though. Basically, adapt or die. He and his staff are competing, for lack of a better word, to keep Florida among the elite when it comes to fundraising in the spaces found in their scope of practice. Nonetheless, it is a moving target. We continue. That's, don't you feel like that's where we are? We're back at a starting point all over again, Phil? It's like everything that we knew has changed, and we have to start over almost on a month-to-month basis in some ways i think that's where i find some of the struggle maybe the fans do too yeah and 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 again it's totally three years ago four years ago let's say uh gosh one of the most important things in recruiting was your facilities um so what do we have we have fantastic facilities for our student athletes now uh, uh name image and likeness comes into play and 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 that has almost superseded anything else it's it's how how can i monetize my name image and likeness at your school Mm -hmm. so yeah it's just i mean it's 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 it starts over and you're right it literally almost reinvents itself every few months i mean because it's totally different than it was two and a half years ago do you think in a lot of ways um there's some perspective that you have being a former student athlete yourself, and now all these years in your experience of of raising the funds for those facilities, for those scholarships, for all those amenities, all those things, are you able to even lean on your playing days in the late seventies to give you some perspective on how to handle this now? Does that help in any way? You know, it, it, it probably doesn't help. I mean, the only thing that would help is if if I had the opportunity to monetize my name image and likeness in the late 70s early 80s i would have of course i would have um but i just i just pray and i really do pray that student athletes today and moving forward don't ever lose sight of the value of a scholarship to play at a university, I'm gonna say University of Florida, mm-hmm. an opportunity to come and get a, a quality, hopefully world-class education, room books, board tuition, compete at an incredibly high level, and leave here without debt. Okay, yeah. take everything else off the table. If you're a scholarship athlete playing at our level, you get something that very few people get is an education without debt. So, you know, I just, my, my, my hope is that as this thing uh, evolves, that, that student athletes don't lose sight of the value of what they're really getting here, you know, with the experience to compete at a high level. 
I'm, I just want to get my checkbook out at the moment. Um, Phil, when you think about that ask, that ask that you still to this day do with regard or on behalf of Gator Boosters, that number one selling point, has it stayed the same for you over these years or is it different or have it, uh, um, an evolved impact here in your later years of this career? You know, honestly, it hasn't deviated much. It hasn't, it hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, again, uh, 40 years ago, it was giving student-athletes the opportunity to compete at a high level and get a great educa- education. 42 years later, it's to compete at a high level, compete for championships, mm-hmm. and to get a world-class education. Um, yeah, there, there are other aspects that I think more student-athletes today are convinced they're going to compete as a professional athlete than 40 years ago um, without understanding the reality that the percentage of student-athletes making it as a professional yeah. has not changed in 50 years. So, you know, we're not going to have 100 student-athletes playing football, get a professional contract every year. So again, but the reality is nothing nothing has changed dramatically because it's the importance of, again, the Roombook Sport tuition and, and having fun. Speaking of fun, let's end on this. What's the story you tell the most about your 40-plus years here with UAA? Is there one that seems to always, that's the one that comes up more than any other? Think of anything in particular. God, well, nothing, nothing in particular. Uh, the thing that gets brought up most with me is being a member of, of the 1979 football team. Uh, you know, really going to talk about yeah, Owen ten of the tie. Come on, that's the one thing that comes up the most, which is which is sad. But uh, you know, it, had it not been for Georgia Tech, who who ruined a perfect season, you know, as opposed to being zero and eleven, we were zero ten and one. But uh, you know, the, gosh, the growth and the friendships and the things that came out of that miserable record uh, are important to me today. So yeah, uh, there there are too many stories, uh, too many skeletons, dead dead bodies, warm Whoa. bodies, you know, cold bodies, and great friendships to to kind of single out any one thing. Can we just note? Again, that it went from 0-10 and one to I think eight and four pretty quick yeah. under yeah. Coach Pell, right? I mean, it was a dramatic turnaround at the time. Yeah, nineteen eighty was yeah. was was eight and four, uh, and and up until I think June Jones at Hawaii, it was a, it was the fastest turnaround, the biggest turnaround at our you know Division One football. So yeah, we 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 turned it around fairly quickly, and again, we're we're in a turnaround mode again. So I'm excited about where we go because you look you look at where we went from that, you know, through the tail end of the '80s, bumped into the '90s and the 2000s. We were pretty dang good. Pretty dang good. I'm glad we ended on that and not on the 0-10 and one <laughs> conversation. Although I'm sure the best stories still come out of that campaign. True. Phil Farr, thank you so much, and uh, and congratulations um, on being the longest tenured UAA employee. Oh, and by the way, a great guy too. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's good. It's it's good to still be alive. <laughs> Go Gators! Go Gators! <laughs>
Time now for Ask the AD on the Gator Tales podcast with Sean Kelly. Uh, still working the title there, Ask the AD. Uh, St- Scott Strickland joins us. Scott, here's this week's question, and it has to do with what's changing starting this summer in the Southeastern Conference, the addition of the Oklahoma Sooners and the Texas Longhorns to the SEC. We've already seen the football schedule for next year, but with regard to the scheduling models and or conference tournaments, how will the addition of those two universities affect the other sport, the sports, I guess, other than football? You know, it's, it's very interesting that um, we're not adding more games, by and large, to the various sports. Certainly in football right now, we have not. We're still at eight. Men's basketball is going to stay at 18. Women's basketball is going to stay at 16. You can Softball is going to be at uh, eight conference series. Baseball is going to be at 10 conference series. Uh, we're going to be able to continue to do round robin in sports like uh, tennis, so there will be a couple additional opportunities there. But by and large, the numbers won't change. But because we're we're completely getting rid of divisions, you're going to have more variety um, in who is who your opponents are. And really, we uh, we there's very few sports we've had divisions in here recently. Football's been one, and that's going to be the biggest difference. Where you know, in year one of of the new arrangement, we have Texas and we have Texas A and M. We have Ole Miss, three teams that we you know have not played regularly, and and they pop up on the schedule. Mississippi State's another one, um, and then uh, in basketball, we've had um, we play everybody once. We played five ti- five teams twice in the current 18, 18 team model. Going forward, we'll still play eighteen. We will still play everybody once, but instead of doubling up on five teams, we're going to just do that with three. And um, and so and every team will have one uh, quote rival or permanent that you will double up with every year. So for the Gators, that's going to be our good friends up in Athens, the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, and who you double up with on the others will will change every year. Um, baseball is going to be getting rid of divisions, and uh, and so you're going to be able to. And softball, you're going to be able to have a little more flexibility. They're going to be uh, softball is not going to have any permanents, so there's going to be. Uh, a lot of variety there. Baseball is going to retain two permanents, and for the Gators, those will be uh, Georgia and South Carolina. So some you know, geography uh, goes into play, comes into play there. Um, so n- not more conference games, but uh, a better variety among conference opponents of who we'll see across the board. I'm glad you answered the question. I just It's been strange that we get this question submitted, and I myself had been wondering why there hasn't been more talk about the other sports other than football. Thanks for clearing it up. Great to see you, Scott. As always, go Gators. Thank you, Sean. Go Gators. Finally, we welcome back Kenna McGinnis. Kenna is a student here at UF. And she's back this week with another installment of Kenna on Campus. Hi again, I'm Kenna McGinnis. Here's my next installment of Kenna on Campus. Last week, I decided it was time to attend my first Gators Gymnastics meet. Florida faced Alabama last Friday, selling out the building for a top 10 matchup and alumni night. Some notable alumni in the building included Keetra Hunter, Rhonda Fain, Ajane Dickerson-Jacobs, Dr. Lynn McDonald-Keefe, Melanie Sinclair, and Kristen Geis, who was kind enough to spend a few minutes with me before the meet. 
Sure, Kristen and I share the fact that we've been students here at UF, but she was also a highly decorated gymnast, earning her a place as a Gator great in the Florida Athletics Hall of Fame. I started our conversation by asking her what she loves about coming back to campus. It's orange and blue all the way. We try to get back here as much as possible, but coming to see my old teammates, all the ladies here, the alumni, it's, it's, um, it's fantastic. And then when you get out there and you feel how vibrant it is out there, it's, it's fantastic. How would you say the Gator fans make a gymnastics meet happen? I, I Yeah, your face, your reaction, I mean, it's obviously pretty a pretty big component of the performance. Oh, yeah. Once they start getting loud, you feel it. You get your, Even to this day, we get up there and I, my hands start sweating. I start watching the meets. Greg's always like, sit in your seat because I'm standing up doing the doing the routines with the ladies but yeah it's it's fantastic can't beat the gator fans how do you guys tend to stay gators away from campus then coming back how do you guys stay involved and stay fans and up with the team well fortunately i am um an f club committee member so i'm able to stay involved with a lot of the different sports and i try to get all that information out to all the te- my old teammates and alumni as much as possible but we are just basically diehard gators i turned my husband into a gator so um he didn't have a skater shirt on tonight, but he he normally does, which is which is very hard to do. So, <laughs> all right, awesome. That's great to hear. And then being in the F Club, I know that you get to nominate some pretty great Gators, which you are one yourself. Why don't you talk a little bit about the accolades you have behind you? Too? It's always hard for me to talk about myself, but because it, it's one of those things where I loved the sport so much and I was so passionate about it that I just did what I loved. So fortunately, being able to get the accolades, you know, there's 11-time All-American, um, All-SEC, SEC Gymnast of the Year. So it's kind of one of those. And actually, the, my last year, I ended up missing uh, the NCAA All-Around Championship by .025. So at the very end of the meet, they all thought I had won. And then the Meredith Willard from Alabama ended up winning the meet. But it was one of those, like, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was the best time of my life. I'd go back and do it all over again. And I know that there are a lot of upgrades to the area that the gymnastics team gets to hang out in. And we got to see your face plastered across the 10 scores and a bunch of other places with your awards. What is your favorite memory in that old gym that is now different because of the new layout and all the cool upgrades they got? Um, I have to say the fact that, you know, even though our gym was a little bit different and it was small and it was point, it was our home, even back then. And it was kind of one of those things where you can't take away any of those memories. Um, I, it's, it's Like I said, it's something I do all over again. Last question for you. What is some advice you have for the Gator Gymnastics teams in this season, this upcoming match against Alabama, and you know, as they progress through their college careers and beyond as gymnasts? Stay focused. Stick it. That is the key. Stick those landings. Don't give up any deductions. And they are so talented. Just do what they know how to do. Thank you so much for your time today and go Gators. Thanks. Go Gators. Thank you, Kenna. Well done. And Gators Gymnastics obviously has more on the home schedule, including another upcoming sellout. Speaking of sellouts, the Gators men's basketball team has already announced that next weekend's game against Auburn at the O'Connell Center is also a sellout. The Gators will look to keep it going this weekend with a road game on Saturday afternoon at Texas A&M before returning home for that game against the Auburn Tigers. Sure was great to visit with Phil Farr today and Corby Otis. Thanks to our guests here on episode 20. Big thanks as well to our sponsors, Pet Paradise, and our presenting sponsor, UF Health. Want to thank Scott Strickland for another installment of Ask the AD. If you'd like to submit a question, you can do so 
on my X handle at Sean Kelly Live, or send me an email, Sean K at Gators.ufl.edu. I welcome your feedback too on the podcast in that email inbox. That'll do it for us this week. Next week, Dudley Hart will be a part of the Gator Tales with Sean Kelly podcast. There'll be more than that, you know it already. I hope you have a great rest of whatever you're doing today. And as always, go Gators.